Real Weird Podcast, Dispatch 5. Hello everyone, i got a great uh, selection for you today. Got a bit of a theme, we've got three what I call folk horror movies. We've got one from Guy Ritchie, and we've got one from Alex Garland. So we're going to start off with Alex Garland actually. It's that movie that you might have seen an ad for around, called, it's just called Men. Uh, it's written and directed by Alex Garland. Some of you might know him best as the director of Ex Machina and Annihilation. Uh, we follow Harper Marlowe, played by Jesse Buckley, a uh, young widow who is on a little country retreat in England following the death of her husband. Uh, basically, they just had a bit of a they had a bit of a row after she asked for a divorce and he committed suicide. So. You know, she's just kind of gone to the country for a few days to get away from everything. And upon arrival, she slowly begins to be... She slowly begins to get this feeling that she's being stalked by someone. And the way most of the men in the village act, there's just something really, really off about it. I won't give anything away, but I'll say this. There is some significance to Roy Kinnear being... uh, Having multiple roles here. I kind of saw this one joke that said he watched Split, seeing James McAvoy playing like eight characters, and said, yeah, hold my beer. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, this was a really good one. It was um, a great example of the benefits of going for the creepy atmosphere over, you know, jump scares. I mean, you know, jump scares are like everything else. It's not necessarily bad, but this one doesn't use them a lot, and when it does, they're very well-executed ones. There's, you know, some proper build-up for them, and they're not, you know, just there to build tension and then have nothing happen. The more notable aspects are the editing and the themes. Regarding the editing, we get repeated cuts to relevant information. You know, we keep hearing references to what happened with... Um, I'm blanking on the name already. Jesus. Uh, sorry, it's just been a busy week, and my brain is, like, not working. <laughs> um... So yeah, regarding the suicide of her husband, their relationship, we get flashbacks of the two of them fighting. And then we just, you know, it it helps keep that fresh in your mind for when new stuff happens that's relevant to it in the movie. As far as the themes go, this whole movie basically reeks of how society deals with, or (laughs) frankly rather doesn't deal with abuse. I mean, she shows up in town, and you will have seen this in the ads if you've seen them, the vicar she starts talking to seems to try and console her, but basically just, you know, implies that she was responsible for it. Cause, um, I'll just give this away. There's one scene where it escalate, their fight escalates to the point where he actually hits her and she basically just screams at him and gets forced him out of the house. And, you know, he seems to imply that <laughs> not even really like accusing her, just, giving like condescending advice the way that you know the way he's saying it like if she had just given him the chance to apologize then wouldn't have happened obviously she takes real exception to that i mean the police officer brushes off her concerns about someone stalking her there's this adolescent kid in town that just hurls abuse at her for ignoring him after you know he starts pestering her basically every time she ignores someone who's bothering her. They act like she's the one being malicious. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure a fair amount of people can probably relate to what's going on in that one. 
Yeah, it's very well done. It's elevated horror, but I am just going to give three big warnings here. For one, regarding the creative end of things, the ending is very ambiguous. Uh, there's some symbolism with this old uh, like stone relief that you find in the cathedral, just like a face carved into a block of stone. I'm not sure what relevance it really has, to be perfectly honest. I'm still thinking about it. I'll probably do more of an in-depth analysis later on when it's either on streaming or on DVD, and I can watch it again at my leisure. But if you want a clear-cut ending, and the ending isn't, like, bad. It's not It's not bad. It's. I'd actually argue it's pretty good. But it's a very, very ambiguous ending, and it's very open-ended. It's very open to interpretation, so if you don't like that, I'm just going to give you that warning right up now. And on to the main thing that is more relevant here, because it really, <laughs> let's just say I had some interesting reactions when I was watching this in the theater. There, as I said, there's a lot of, you know, themes about like harassment and stalking. If depictions of self-harm or sexual assault or stalking are going to be a major problem for you, I would tread lightly with this movie, especially given near the ending there is, you know, I say I like the creepy atmosphere, but they get to like David Cronenberg levels of body horror near the end of it. It got so bad. It got so bad that between that, the depictions of assault and the, well, in the tense atmosphere, the lady who was sitting next to me nearly threw up on my goddamn shoes. So, you know, as I said, tread lightly with this one or maybe even just give it a hard pass. I don't know. It should be... I managed to get an advanced screening at my local theater. Uh, it should be a wide release by the time this goes up. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to give everyone a warning before going into it. But it's definitely, if you can stomach it, it's a movie worth seeing. And it's definitely a very interesting one as far as the creative angle of it goes. Uh, yeah, it's a multi-viewing movie, as I like to put it. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 for now. Next up, we have Wrath of Man by Guy Ritchie. Stars his uh, very frequent collaborator, Jason Statham, as the new employee at a security firm named Patrick Hill. Uh, the story after a little prologue is broken up into these four parts with different POVs, and they circle back to this main event that sets a little chain reaction going. The main plot here is that well, the truck that he's in when he starts working there, Guy Ritchie's character, not Guy Ritchie, that's the director, Jason Statham's character, uh, he's on a job with two other guys at a little, um, you know, armored car company. You know, they just handle cash and move valuables around. They get held up, and much to the surprise of everyone involved, including his coworkers, he just single-handedly kick, he kills all of the robbers. And, yeah, he's not who he says he is, and that's basically the sense you get going forward. Uh, I'm going to say I loved this, but it's also not Richie's best work. It doesn't have the visual flair of, like, The Gentleman or Snatch or even his, you know, oldest movie, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. 
it has some humorous elements, but it kind of lacks the sense of humor that the rest of his movies have. It's more along the lines of his movie Rock and Roller, which was one of his most serious ones. Everything's really stark and grounded, and there's this really like tense and menacing music that plays throughout. But the action sequences are still really good. The characterization's interesting. The main issue, I'd say, is that the cyclical pattern here in the movie kind of drags the pace down a little bit. And, you know, Richie's movies are always, like, convoluted in terms of plot line, but it is still very, very interesting. Just be sure to pay attention to all scenes very, very intently, because the slow burn revelations you get, it's very worth your time. And I'm giving this one, for now, a 7 out of 10. Next up, we have an Icelandic movie called Lamb, directed by uh, Valdemar Johansson, written, co-written by him and the Icelandic novelist Sean, who also wrote The Northman. Uh, I actually originally saw this way back in October. It was actually like the day after I saw The Last Duel originally. I decided to rewatch it because the ending both confused me and was somewhat ruined by some dumbass in the row behind me laughing at the ending. But I will say this. This, like most good folk horror movies, is a very slow burn, and it focuses more on steady unease, the you know, the uncanny valley, than just, you know, jump scares and having horrific images on screen all the time. So the general plot is that there's this childless couple in rural Iceland who one day go out to their barn and they find a small, like, ram-human hybrid child in the barn, and they decide to raise her as their own daughter, even naming her Ada, after what is hinted to be a daughter that died either in infancy or stillbirth or just very, very young in general. And, yeah, I'm going to be completely honest. The lamb child is... I mean, it's creepy given what it's supposed to be, but it's kind of adorable. It's got, like, this lamb's head, and the right arm is like a you know, sheep's leg, but the rest of the body is human. It's very, very, it's creepy, but it's also kind of weirdly adorable, honestly. What complicates things is that the husband's brother shows up, and that creates drama between, you know, you know, the, the couple involved here and him. And it's also just the fact that he's deeply uncomfortable with this whole thing. There's one point where he just sees, like, you know, the wife played by Numi Rapace in the tub playing with the kid. He turns to his brother and goes, what the fuck is wrong with you two? You guys are playing house with an animal. And throughout the whole movie, it is also hinted that there's some kind of, like, you know, monster or some kind of, like, supernatural being that wants to reclaim the child. Initial impression is that I really enjoyed the isolating feeling derived from, you know, the, the rural setting, the fact that all the lighting is very, very naturalistic. Um, in that regard, it's very, very similar to The Witch, but I'd also compare the feeling that I got to my first viewing of Hereditary. I loved the movie and the creepy feeling that it left me with, but I was just so damn confused. But it was, it wasn't a frustrating confusion. It was the confusion that makes me want to go back and watch it again. Uh, again, probably some of this 
is just like some sort of folklore in Iceland that I didn't really pick up on. Um, like I said, both him and the co-writer, both the director and the co-writer are Icelandic natives. Uh, there's some good bits of analysis to go into here. I think the you can look at this as a sort of allegory for parenthood in general, because in a way it's both selfless and selfish. You know, you're caring for you know another human being that can't look after themselves, but you know, as anyone who's ever dealt with like you know trying to live up to your parents' expectations will tell you, there's an aspect of parenthood that is very much you have to fight the urge to make your kids into just another you. You have to let them be who they want to be after a certain point. So there is that. And also just like not letting other people give their advice, even when it's warranted, because, you know, we have this idea that being a parent means, you know, best full stop. That's not always the case, but very few parents want to admit that. There's also a way to look at it is like karmic retribution for the way humans exploit nature and animals, but I won't say anything more about that here because that would be, I think, giving too much away. The ending, I feel, is a little underwhelming, but I appreciate it more on a second viewing generally, and it managed to make me feel very invested in the characters given how you know, little action is going on, how minimal the dialogue is, and again, how adorable the little you know, monster they're raising is. I'm going to give this one a 9 out of 10. An interesting little movie out of Macedonia, You Won't Be Alone. A funny little side note about this one, it came to my attention one day while I was in the break room at work. I was watching, I, I had flipped over to HLN because they were running reruns of Forensic Files and the ad came on with the reviews for this. And I actually saw one that really like said, I need to see this. Because it said it's the best folk horror movie since The Witch. I actually meant to see this a lot earlier. Um, way back in April, actually, when when I had seen X. Because for that one, I had to go all the way down to Boston because none of the local theaters were playing it. But unfortunately, I uh, overslept and missed the morning train, so I couldn't get there in time to see that one. But yeah, it's... Uh, this is a brilliant one, honestly. I'd say the only issue is that it's labeled a folk horror and that everything is presented so flat and matter-of-fact, but it's not done in a way that makes things scary. It is, again, I go back to this because it seems to be a running theme with folk horror, is that a lot of it is the atmosphere, and there is some imagery the ma- that com- that contributes to it, but... It is more just the creepy feeling that you get. If you need, you know, I don't want to sound like a snob here, but folk horror is not for the kind of people who, when they go to a horror movie, they need the creepy music, they need the jump scare, they need the shaky camera. I like all that stuff when it's done properly, but this is not that kind of movie. Our main villain of the movie is Maria. She's a uh, Balkan-style witch, basically, and she looks sort of like... she's She kind of looks like female Freddy Krueger. She's got, like, those burns all over her body. And she makes a deal to take possession of a small child when she turns 16, and her actual mother hides her in a cave until then, and it's considered to be a holy site. 
Um, the young girl eventually becomes a witch herself after having a falling out with Maria, her teacher, as it were. She takes on multiple new forms and sequence, actually, and tries to learn how humans act. Because, again, aside from her own mother, she doesn't know anything about humans act, how humans are supposed to act, because she's been pretty much kept in isolation for the first, like, 16 years of her life. And the results of this, they really range from, like, humorous on the one end to gruesome in a fairly short amount of time. There's some where she's just, like... She's acting in the kind of way that if you saw it in person, she would just look like a simpleton to the point where. And on the other end of things, it's like, you know, she indulges her own curiosity and then immediately starts getting beaten up by people who think she's not, who think she's like slacking off or, you know, going insane. The whole movie is her trying to explore the world that she's been isolated from for so long. And the unsettling thing for her, and by extension the audience, is that even in the fairly benign forms that she takes, she's still very heavily abused as the film goes on. And, you know, she becomes very disheartened and confused by the way humans treat each other, especially those that, like, deviate from... The norms, how badly, especially the women and children, are treated. I, I'd still say that it's a very great movie overall. It's just that a lot of it is more. It, it you do have to think about like what's going on a lot of the times because it's not. I appreciate the director's not spoon feeding you, but some of it is like you need to pay, you need to focus and actively engage with it. I did see one review that I jo- that I loved because I I kind of have really grown to love Terrence Malick as well, and someone joked that this is like if The Witch was directed by Terrence Malick. There's a fair amount of like voiceover and montage that's used to like compress the scenes so that we get the same idea without it needing to be like ten minutes long. There's a lot of music that's like perfectly constant with whatever mood they're going for in that scene. There's a very spiritual, philosophical tone. I <laughs> I know people like this, so I'm not going to recommend it for everyone, but it's, it's the kind of movie that I enjoy, but I feel like a lot of people would write it off as just being way too artsy for its own good. I will say again, like, kind of like with Lamb, that the climax here was somewhat underwhelming, but it is, in its own way, it's very engrossing. It's kind of haunting in its own way. I'll give this one an 8 out of 10. And finally, we have In the Earth, directed by Ben Wheatley, uh, who also wrote the script for this, who's also done a really good sort of like mix of folk horror and crime thriller called Kill List. I'd recommend go watching that too. But it follows Martin and Alma, respectively a scientist and a park ranger in a little, um, in a very large forest preserve that's outside of, I can't remember if they said it was Devon or Bristol, somewhere in, you know, somewhere in England. And during a pandemic, Martin is tasked with going into an unusually fertile forest a bit outside the city, uh, almost his guide, and they're supposed to find a former colleague named Dr. Wendell. 
She was in the forest doing research on mycorrhiza, which is a type of uh, fungal growth that occurs on uh, plant roots generally, and to see if it could help increase crop yields. What follows is this sort of like... It's impressive that's a slow descent, basically, because the movie's only like an hour and 22 minutes. But they just sort of like slowly descend into madness from there because there's this... There's this weird sort of like force acting on them as they travel through the woods, and it's very ambiguous as to whether or not it's some kind of like woodland spirit, because we, you know, reference that early in the film... Or if it's just some kind of like super organism, like the fungus has this, uh, just sort of, I wouldn't say like hive mind, but like gestalt mind, like it's starting to, it's grown so big that it's sort of thinking for itself in its own way. Uh, there's a scene where there's this like mist that isolates the camp they're in, and even with like a gas mask on, Alma just goes insane because she inhales some of like spores from it or something. I mean, if we're going with a scientific aspect of it, that's probably what's happening. But again, whether or not it's the spirits or spores, it's basically uh, up to the audience interpretation, because it's really not one or the other definitively. Again, with folk horror, the slow pacing might turn some of you off, but it's very, very naturalistic feel of the cinematography with all the shaky camera work. Uh, Wheatley does not seem to enjoy fade edits because scenes either hard cut or cut to black before getting back to the movie. Uh, sometimes you'll see a cut in the middle of like in the middle of like a dialogue scene, and there's no attempt to disguise it. And it's not even like cutting to a close up of someone else. It's like you'll see two people talking, and then you'll notice this tiny little bit where like the body language just jumps from one to the other. Um, and it's, the movie almost feels hypnotic in a way with the camera work, the music, uh, the performances, and just this, like, beautiful forest that they've been shooting in. The tension is built up fairly well as far as I'm concerned. The latter half, when it turns into a sort of, (sighs) sort of dark psychedelic trip. Yeah, um, warning here. With this one, and they do this if you watch it on Hulu. If you have photosensitive epilepsy, this you might want to watch yourself when you go into this movie, especially when you get to the second half of it. The characterization's given in short spurts that leaves it, it's just enough to give you some investment, but not enough that it takes away from your curiosity. Again, it's the artsy and thoughtful type of ambiguous. If you don't mind the slow burn, if you don't mind the more conceptual horror over the visceral stuff, I'd definitely give it a watch. And that'll be it for this week. This is a 9 out of 10 for me. Um, yeah, before I go on, I do just want to say I've been looking at the analytics page on rss.com, which is where the podcasting is hosted out of. And I just want to give a quick shout-out. I appreciate, like, all of my listeners especially. I'm happy to see that there's a lot in and around, you know, New England especially. Um, you know, and in general, thanks to all of the other people in, in the U S that are listening, but I also want to give a shout out to the foreign listeners that apparently I have, uh, especially the, um, 
Brussels because until recently they've been in my top five locations in terms of downloads. But I looked at the analytics page again and I've got some few I got a few others in some other locations in Europe especially, but just generally international. So to the at least one listener each in uh, Romania, Bulgaria, Italy, uh, England, and apparently Russia, Pakistan, and Zimbabwe as well, which is, <laughs> like, no offense, but I'm kind of surprised you guys found me. So thanks for thanks for tuning into the channel. I hope I can uh, give a little something to entertain everybody here. But it's it's kind of wild to me thinking that I've actually got even a very tiny international audience that I even have some people outside my home country that are listening. So, yeah, thanks for all for joining me. Uh, next Dispatch episode is going to be um, sort of a superhero-heavy theme. I'm going to be talking about uh, a Snyder Cut Justice League as well as uh, four other Marvel four Marvel movies. So that should be up shortly after this one because I have seen all of them. I've taken all the notes, so I'll be ready to give my judgment on those as well soon. So thanks for joining me. Signing off. Goodbye. Thank you.